0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Ray Harkins, and you are listening to an episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. In which we bring a person on who has been affiliated with independent music in some capacity, whether it was playing in bands, whether it was going to shows or just being a part of the quote unquote scene, going to shows and taking those DIY principles and bringing them into the real world. I think I've almost got that down, right? You think I would have that written down and like as a manifesto in some Google spreadsheet of mine, but I don't. I kind of try to, you know, make it a little different on each episode. So that's what we're doing here. And the guest this week is Lee Overtree. He is the uh, oh man, what are you creative director, owner? Not exactly sure what to call him of a, a nonprofit organization called Story Pirates, and at least I think they're nonprofit. <laughs> But regardless of that, of their standing within the US government, whether they are a for profit or non profit company, Story of Pirates is a really, really incredible thing that, you know, honestly, you would have probably only tripped across it if you are parents, and which I am one. And so basically, I started looking for podcasts that would, you know, be family friendly where we can all listen to in the car and enjoy. And this show, holy shit, it is totally up. That alley, because basically, what they do is they take a story that is written by, you know, a younger kid, anywhere between the ages of like four and 10, usually, uh, usually a little bit younger. And they, you know, kids come up with amazing stories and stuff that is so off the wall that you're just like, yo, only a kid could think about that. And, What they do is they turn it into stage plays. And they have, you know, really, really talented improv people do these stage plays. Uh, I think they're on Sirius XM radio, if I'm not mistaken. But regardless, it's super entertaining. And even if you don't have kids, I promise that listening to this podcast will make you enjoy that storytelling and wonder of what kids are all about. So, And the reason I brought Lee on the show is because uh, I noticed him doing some uh, some music-like tweets. And like, okay, I was like, "I I think this dude knows what's up. And uh, he does know what's up. He has been profoundly influenced by the whole DIY culture and, you know, uh, a big emo dude as far as the music that has influenced him. And um, yeah, we we get to the bottom of that. But before... We get to the bottom of that. I'm going to, uh, you know, pontificate for a minute or two because I've had some uh, some things happen this week that I wanted to get your takes on, you know, because I always like it when people email the show. And I have realized I haven't given out the email address in quite some time. It's 100WordsPodcast at gmail.com because I always like to hear feedback from you, fine folks out there, uh, especially uh, if you like the show. If you don't like the show, then just move on. <laughs> but, anyways, um, I got to watch my friends play music. They play in a band called Less Art, and these are old, old friends of mine. They're technically now old as well as me. But uh, it's uh, Mike Minnick, the vocalist of Curl Up and Die, who uh, I've spent many, 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 many hours with. And actually, I'd probably say that I've spent like months of my life with him. And uh, two other good friends who I've spent a large amount of time with who is uh, Riley and Eddie, both playing the band thrice. And actually all three of them have been guests of the show in the past. And uh, Ian Miller, who is a internet friend, now turned real friend after I met him at the show. And uh, it was really, really fun to watch friends do fun stuff. Like, you know that level of satisfaction you get when you watch someone you care about and love create something? that's exactly what I felt like. So it's just, uh, yeah, music continues to amaze me and be a beautiful thing. And, uh, even as you grow older and you're supposed to like, Oh, age out of this stuff. You're not supposed to play bands and do all this other stuff, but now nah, man, you can do whatever you want and you can do it with friends. You can just, just, just do it, you know? So be creative. That's basically what I'm trying to tell you. And, um, I'm also really enjoying the summer. It's nice to be able to uh, slow down for a minute. I can tell the working world, you know, they, everyone's keeping up with, uh, what's happening, but, uh, Everyone's like likes to take off, you know? Likes to uh, make sure they're spending some time outside or just spending time with the people they care about. So I hope that you are doing that as well. And, you know, still listening to the podcast, of course. But, yeah, still listening to, uh, you know, the world around you. But anyways, uh, here is my discussion with Lee Overtree. I'm extremely excited to bring this to you because, uh, yeah, I just think it's a really, really, really good example of taking those principles that you learned within going to shows and, you know, being involved and then bringing those principles out into the real world. So here's Lee and I will talk to you after the episode is over. But I I can't remember exactly how I found out about Story Pirates, but I want to say it was... uh, Are you familiar with that podcast called Brains On?
1: Yeah, yeah, they featured us a while back.
0: So I think that's that's how I got keyed into it. And um, it was one of those things where, obviously, there's a huge... um, uh, there's just no podcasts for families to listen to together. Like that's just, yeah. it, it's a, it's a really, uh, it's a, a deficit within the the context of podcasting. And within the first episode, like, I mean, obviously, you know, this identifies with kids, but it's just like my five-year-old son was like, yo, this is good. He didn't actually say no, <laughs> but he just was so keyed into it.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Um, But it, the the thing that I, I just, I don't know, I kind of picked you in particular where I was just like, it seems to me like Lee knows what's up with, like, music. Like, I just had, <laughs> I could just sniff you out without even really having any sort of, like, um, real insights, obviously, what you were into. Um, and so that that's why when I saw, I think, you tweeting about that band Pine Grove, I was, right, like, yeah. I was like, yo, Lee does know what's up. <laughs> do, do you find that kind of interesting where it's like only us people can kind of, like, notice each other from afar and like pick each other out of a lineup when you don't really have any context for the person besides just what they put out there
1: I mean I, I'm i glad to hear that because I'm glad to hear that you could tell that I was uh, you know potentially a music nerd I don't know like it's a lot of people there aren't a ton of people but more and more who can understand the intersection between kids media and rock and roll. <laughs> right. To me, I've never understood the difference, really. I always feel like everything I do is sort of like trying to make a rock band a little bit. And um, so I never really saw the distinction. So it's it's actually more surprising to me when people are like, oh, like, you don't have kids yourself, or like you... Uh, so why do you or you like stuff other than kids media that's surprising to me like i thought you would just be into into that but so so i guess i'm like sort of relieved that someone someone is like oh this is obviously a guy that is interested in, in other stuff too that so that's yeah.
0: funny that people put the projection that like your consumption must directly correlate to the art that you're creating. Like you, yeah, totally. you only watch PBS kids. You're super familiar with Daniel. Tec- yeah.
1: like It's so I weird. Think, I think the reason is because most people become interested in kids media and they have a light bulb that goes off when they have kids themselves. And for me, it was when I was in college, I think I just sort of like never stopped being a kid. And so I was always interested in, things that were aimed towards kids, or at least I didn't see the distinction between kids and adults. Um, but for most people, it's when they have their own kids. And so uh, it's it makes sense that they would, like, map that onto me as well.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I think that there is a real... I was actually astonished, like, once... I only have one kid, but I was astonished at how good, like programming is for kids across all platforms of media because i you know before you have a kid you have this conception that it's just like oh yeah it's like barney the purple dinosaur and like there's just right. a ton of horrible stuff out there but like i think with there's only one exception and that's caillou he's the worst human being alive but i think most <laughs> most people that watch the show could probably understand what i'm talking about but yeah the i just was shocked and so i at uh, the quality like not only was it obviously entertaining for me but then obviously provided all the you know tent poles of educational value but i was just uh and so i find it interesting when people uh you know whatever turn their nose up and are just like oh yeah that's something my kid watches and i was like what are you ta- like just watch it for like 10 minutes and you'll probably enjoy it
1: there's so much good stuff out there um for kids yeah it's i mean it's like anything it's like with music like one of the really amazing things about being alive right now is there is just no there's, there's like you, there's so much good music out there to get at, and you just have to look for it a little bit. and the same's true with kids stuff for kids. There's plenty of crap, but right um, but it's like a it's a wealth you know' there's, there's so much
0: Yeah, no, it's exciting. Um, so you yourself were you born and raised on, on the East Coast
1: or where did you come up? I grew up in Texas.
0: Oh, I think yeah. I did know. I think you mentioned that before. I should have known that. It sh- shows how professional I am as a journalist.
1: It's my uh, it's my go-to exotic detail. My folks aren't Texans, though, so it's a little bit disingenuous.
0: Where specifically uh, in Texas? Houston. Okay. And, and did you enjoy that experience
1: of Texas? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I miss Texas more now that I'm gone. We always. My family always felt a little bit like outsiders there but i did really love the people um and there's things that are great about it and i get i get down when people uh you know talk shit about texas cuz there's so much texas <laughs> it's really big <laughs> um and you know Houston's a totally different universe from Austin from Dallas and San Antonio i mean they're all they're all so different and there's so many people like anywhere there's plenty of jerks and and also like plenty of amazing people and great culture and great music and lots of cool stuff
0: yeah and you were uh you're the youngest of was it three kids
1: yeah, so you did do your research. Uh,
0: you know, I'm professionally. <laughs> but so, uh, I mean, I, I'm an only child, so I have no siblings. But I, I presume the uh, baby experience uh, for you was uh, was very endemic of, I guess, how babies are, are treated within families of like, oh, you can do no wrong, and you're awesome. Or was that uh, a little different for you?
1: I think so, yeah. Like, I mean, my brother and sister definitely fought battles for me that I didn't have to fight, you know. But, yeah. Um, and I was, in, as I guess as stereotypical youngest child was encouraged to be creative um, and really supported by my parents and all that. You know, my brother's a psychologist. My sister is a teacher. Um, so they have real jobs. <laughs> I'm the one that was like, oh, you don't... I guess that I'm not going to get a real job. <laughs> my parents were nice enough to be like, all right, go for it. Right, well, I
0: don't, I don't know to expl- I don't know how to explain your job, but this is essentially what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I story pirates is pretty much my job, um, and I do, I direct and write uh, other things on the side.
0: Right, right, um, and so then when you, did you uh, basically did you go to high school and everything in Houston as well, and then moved when you went to
1: college. Yep, went to high school in Houston. Went to Stratford High School. Um, then went to college at Northwestern in Chicago, and then moved to New York. And after I graduated, which was uh, two and I've been in New York since then. Got it. In Brooklyn the whole time.
0: Nice. What, um, what sort of kid did you find yourself being in high school? Like, were you, um, you know, I, I'm going to make some projections on you here, but the <laughs> the idea that obviously you're into, you know, improv comedy, that sort of, uh, at the acting world, I'm sure was something that was, uh, uh, interesting to you. So I presume you were kind of a a drama geek in a way or were
1: you? Yeah, I was a theater kid. Okay. you're <laughs> Yeah.
0: Was that cool in your school or was that just kind of like, oh, that's their own thing over there.
1: It was pretty, it was a little bit of both, you know, like. I felt like it was pretty well respected and by the time I was a senior and like, you know, like had a lead in the musical or whatever, you know, that, that applied, that afforded you some status at our school. It wasn't, I mean, it was Texas. So like football's huge. Um, and it was a gigantic public school. So like there was lots going on, but the theater department was really substantial and, um, and great they were great people and just like so many great kids were doing it and I loved it. When I first arrived at school at high school, I, 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 I didn't really know where I belonged because I wasn't a, um, I wasn't you know I wasn't allowed to play football by my parents mm-hmm. which like in junior high in Texas is like pretty uh, rare
0: sure <laughs> for- that's, that's a weird thing for Texas.
1: Yeah, like every single kid in seventh grade, I think, is when football started. Every single boy felt like joined the football team. Um, and my parents, I guess, who been were pretty uh, ahead of their time, were like, no, nope, it's dangerous. Right, <laughs> <"You're> <laughs> <not doing laughs> it. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll just hang out with the girls in PE. That's that's fine. Right. Um, but by the time I got to high school, I was like, I'm not really sure where I belong. And then I had this great teacher, Mrs. Smith, in uh, my freshman year who was like, you should try out for the shows. I think probably because she was uh, exhausted with my antics in the classroom.
0: Were you, a, uh, were you a class clown?
1: Uh, sometimes. I think, I mean, a little bit, uh, especially with her. But she was sort of a partner in crime with me, like, it felt like a we were really like sharing the comedic energy really well. Like I would find ways to be a class clown that weren't disruptive, or would like set her up in a way, and she would set me up, and she left room for that. It was really awesome. I always remember that in terms of sharing, sharing the floor right. between teachers and students, you know,
0: yeah, she was your first improv partner without you even really knowing what that was.
1: Yeah, totally. And she just enjoyed me and I was like, that's great. Someone thinks I'm funny.
0: Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then, uh, obviously since you were attracted to, uh, the arts as it were, um, like when did music, I, I guess more specifically kind of, you know, music that obviously wasn't uh, introduced to you by your parents, when did that stuff start to kind of like percolate in your head?
1: I had the older brother thing oh, where nice. Yeah. So I got introduced to Led Zeppelin at a really young age. I remember the first time I heard immigrant song, I was in, uh, elementary school and I was like, Holy, what is this? <laughs> it just sounded ungodly and so powerful. Uh, it sounded like a demon, you know, like I couldn't even believe it. It's like the most powerful sound I ever heard. And, and it just sort of went from there. And my brother would, uh, I remember one Christmas he cop, like what he gave me was a full set of like 12 blink tapes that he dubbed his CDs from, I guess, or other tapes. Mm-hmm. And, and every, each side was like a different album. So he basically gave me like, 24 albums for christmas and i just wore those out and that was sort of like my education what were some of the because that
0: that's a really um i mean even though by i guess true definition of a gift like you know, it's pretty cheap you know blank tapes with with records on them but that's a yeah. hu- that's a huge uh investment of time like, what, what, were, what were some of the other records that your brother gave you in that
1: i remember i don't remember specifically but i remember Zeppelin, obviously, Beatles, obviously. I remember their Rush was a big band for Mm -hmm. us at the time. Uh, I still love Rush, actually. Uh, And what else? There was like, and then there was like more like '90s stuff, uh, like, or maybe this was earlier than that. I don't remember, but I remember the first Black Crowes record being pretty important. Sure, around the time um yeah stuff like that mostly classic rock stuff
0: sure sure kind of the uh yeah the the stuff that obviously you could introduce to a younger brother and not like you know get in trouble for it's not like he's getting dub tapes of like uh you know deicide and sex pistols and stuff like
1: that. yeah no that was on my uh, that was that was more like when i hit junior high that was when i was getting more into that stuff from friends
0: got it so the, you would say junior high is when, um, the, like, I guess more of the, uh, alternative slash punk or whatever, uh, scene became more available to you because of your friends.
1: Yeah, totally. Although I was still pretty mainstream, like Guns N' Roses was a huge band for me. Nice.
0: which, um, is, which is edgy still.
1: Yeah. I, I had to get my friend to dub me that on to Use Your Illusion when that came out to dub that for me because I couldn't go buy it because my mom would have been not into that <laughs> right.
0: was was that was that because of uh any sort of uh, were you brought up with any sort of strain of religion uh, was that because i know that obviously plays a part
1: yeah of- we were we went to church but we weren't particularly religious um it was just more of a i don't know they were pretty much like rule followers in terms of like everything was about school and grades. So it wasn't a particularly permissive household, but it wasn't, it wasn't strict in a like religious sense or, or anything that I think is like, that I would even label as like unreasonable, you know? Sure. But, but I wasn't the guy like going out with my friends, you know, like to see, I, and I didn't get to see a lot of bands, which was like a big, like sadness for me and even all the way through high school was like I just didn't have like the leeway to like stay out late and go see bands and it happened a little bit but it was few and far between and, and not even like close to what I wanted
0: right you you would settle for a live music experience for whatever it was
1: yeah totally
0: um, and so then as you, uh, obviously, it looked like the, the, the path of the artist life was being kind of laid out in front of you, but obviously not really because of anything that your family came from. Um, so was there, I presume that you went to Northwestern with that sort of goal, the, the you know pursuing the arts in, in mind?
1: I went there as a theater major. And what's cool about Northwestern is um, the theater program there is one of the best in the country, but it's not a conservatory program it's a liberal arts degree so i was able to satisfy my parents and myself because it's a really intensive theater program but i was still taking other classes and i came out of there with like a liberal arts degree that was pretty well-rounded
0: nice And did you, uh, would you define your college experience pretty, um, like, you know, were you, were you finding yourself, were you experimenting with a lot of things and kind of trying to figure out what it is that you wanted to do? Or were you pretty focused on like, yo, this is, this is it. I want to be a theater major.
1: I was pretty, I think I was pretty 50, 50 on being in bands and doing theater. But again, they sort of felt like the same thing to me. Right. And so it was, they just like it was the same impulse, just taking different forms. Sure. And um, so so yeah, but I was pretty sure I was leaning towards theater even in college, probably.
0: And so, when you mentioned bands, obviously, um, like you said, you didn't really have much live music experience in high school and stuff like that. Did you play an instrument at all?
1: Yeah, I played guitar my whole life. Well, I I started on piano, and I when I was really young. I would like do competitions and like do classical piano and stuff like that. But I hated it. I hated the lessons. I hated, uh, being, I felt like I was being forced to do it. And all I really wanted to do was play guitar. So I eventually taught myself guitar, um, and then started playing in bands in junior high. Um, and then when I got to college, I taught myself drums and I played drums in several bands In college and after college.
0: Okay, and so uh, the uh, I presume, obviously, the bands that you were in 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 junior high, like you you guys were doing, like cover songs and stuff like that. You were you probably weren't, you know, playing shows, so to speak.
1: I don't think we played. We would play like uh, talent shows, like school talent shows, and like church functions Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. In junior high, and it was all covers, I think. In junior high, although maybe I had started writing some songs by then. In high school, we did covers, and then we also wrote uh, our own stuff. I always, uh, I always
0: bring this question up just because I always think the fir- the name of like people's first bands <laughs> are so that um, you can almost identify what they sound like just because you know you're, you're naming your band directly by your experience, which is usually just like I want to sound like this band, so we're going to make a name that kind of sounds like this <laughs> style. What were, yeah. what were the names of kind of the first projects that you did um, with that in mind?
1: The first band I was in, in junior high was called Skip the Chipmunk. <laughs> That's, dude. I think it's a great name.
0: That, I could, and I always try to do this too, where uh, that could be like a sort of mid to late 90s ska band from Southern California.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: But what were you guys trying to sound like?
1: Uh, I think we were playing like uh, Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and like... Nice. uh, Probably like some like... uh, Alice in Chains or Pearl Jam and like stuff like that. Sure. Um, you know, te- Texas grunge, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, the whole grunge explosion.
0: Of course. Of course. Um, and so then it sounds like obviously in college is when you kind of uh, cut your teeth in regards to, you know, playing out with bands and stuff like that. So what, what, what projects were you doing there or bands that you were doing there that, um, you know, played shows and stuff like that.
1: In college, I mean, we played some shows in high school at this place, Fitzgerald's, in Houston, which was where it was like basically pay to play, but it was also like a place where, uh, like Stevie Ray Bond had played and stuff like that, which was pretty cool to like be on the same stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we did that a little bit, and I think we played it like. No, I guess we just played Fitzgerald. I was going to say we played at the abyss, which is another like place in Houston. but I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe I just saw like some ska bands there, but per- like, perfect. Yeah. Like mustard plug and like whatever.
0: Oh yeah. Great. Yeah, M- Michigan's yeah. finest.
1: Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I was also briefly in a ska band in junior high called the Soapbox brats <gasps> That's so good. Another great name. Basically only we basically had like one rehearsal though. I played trumpet in that one. Dude, you you're doing a lot of instruments. Yeah, I was in the junior I was in the band in junior high and I played trumpet in there.
0: Your, your creative juices were flowing at a very early age. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and I was the singer of the band too.
0: Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You double duty.
1: Oh yeah. No, I wanted all the all the fame. But in college, uh, we played out around mostly like parties still, but I was in a bunch of bands there. I was in this band, uh, called snow pants with a Z at the end. (laughs) So good. I was in, I played drums in a band called kid Charlemagne. Okay. Named after the Steely Dan song. Sure. And, and we recorded a little bit and I was also in a bluegrass band that was called It's the worst title ever But I have to preface that It was definitely tongue in cheek Because okay. of the bad names that bluegrass bands have
0: Sure
1: um, we were, And we were all theater majors So our band was called The Grass Menagerie Okay Which is a play by Tennessee Williams sure. The Glass Menagerie okay. um, Awful name Really fun band And I think that's it There may have been a couple other, like, small dumb bands I was in. Sure.
0: But you were, it sounds like you were obviously an aficionado of, uh, you know, music in general um, and weren't kind of, um, you know, sticking to a lane. Because, you know, usually that's kind of what kids start to do where it's like, you know, you're in high school or starting in college and, like, you know, you're known as a punk kid. So, like, you can't listen to any music that's singing or whatever. But it sounds like you were kind of a, a, a salad bowl, as it were, of musical influences.
1: I was all over the place. I didn't really get into hip hop until after school, but after college at the time I was pretty rock centric and I still really am rock centric, but, but yeah, I'm all over the place. I sort of appreciate everything.
0: Cool. Um, but I do, uh, the, you know, the main thread that obviously I, I wanted to pull on and I know that you identify with was the kind of uh, DIY culture where it's like, once you started to experience, you know, going to whatever independent shows that obviously weren't, you know, some live nation or ticket master event, mm-hmm. um, And then kind of obviously the through lines that that, uh, played into your life in regards to, you know, putting together plays and doing all that sort of, uh, you know, dramatic Mm -hmm. work of like getting, you know, 10 people to show up on a Saturday night to your performance or whatever. Um, like, what, what, what attracted you to that sort of DIY nature?
1: I guess I just, I think like as a younger person, I always sort of had a chip on my shoulder about like being able to do what I wanted to do creatively. And and I realized pretty early on, or at least, like, with bands, it's pretty self-explanatory that, like, you can do whatever you want. You just have to do it all yourself. So that is a given. Like, we just got into the habit of, you know, like, carting our amps all over the place and finding places to practice, finding places to play, getting people to show up, getting people to be in the band, you know, like designing flyers, printing flyers, like getting clubs to let you play. Like that was just part of the gig. It wasn't like it, it it wasn't it wasn't like we decided to be in a band and then we were like, "Oh, man, we have to do all the work too." It was that's just part of it. So, it was the step from that to creating my own company, Story Pirates was pretty I was it didn't Again, I, I just sort of, like, it just sort of happened, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll just do everything. We'll do it all ourselves the way the way we always have. Right. You know, it just it just seemed like to me, if you, which is very, like, punk ethos, I guess, is, like, you, if you, the rules are created, you know, so that other people can remain in control. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that I should really not try to play by the rules or like play into some system that's already created. And whether it's, you know, and and after college, that was pretty much theater. I decided that, you know, a little probably like a little headstrong, a little like self-absorbed. I was like, I want to do my thing and I'm not going to play by anyone's rules and we're going to make this thing on our own. And the result of that was is like a work ethic. That is pretty insane. Um, that I think you see with a lot of bands, and um, and we sort of apply that to theater, like so many young theater companies do. And it is like such a hardworking community, and, and people really like put blood, sweat, and tears into it for years and years and years for very little payoff. Um, so it's pretty inspiring, you know. I just I just like self-made culture. I love anything where. Where people just decide to do it and they don't ask permission and they go for it and they build a thing, because building a thing is hard. You know, I think of, I think about like Found Magazine, which is a—I don't know if you know that magazine, but it's yeah, very familiar. Yeah, it's the guys that make that, the guys and girls that make that are really inspiring to me because they don't make a ton of money they just have this sort of value system and this drive to create that pushes them to work harder than anyone harder and longer than anyone I know. And it's just an inspiring way to work. And it seems to me like the only way to really make, make what you want to make these days.
0: Yeah, I I, I also like the the thread you pull on in regards to you never really saw a differentiation between, um, you know, theater and music uh, as far as, like, doing a band. Because, I mean, for all intent and purposes, it's the same exact thing. You obviously just have more people creating, uh, you know, a theater company. Um, You know, you've got, like, ten people as opposed to, you know, a four-piece band or whatever. But that's... it's the same exact thing. <laughs> you're, you're finding venues. You're trying to get people to do your show, and like that's the you know it's the same principle. It's just like taking a different form.
1: Yeah, and you're you're trying very hard to express yourself while making room for other people. Sorry, it's my laundry. <laughs> no um, yeah, you're trying very hard to express yourself while also making room for other people to do that and meeting in the middle in a way that creates something that neither party expected uh is pretty special and so in that way being in bands is really great practice for starting a theater company and frankly like starting a small business which every band is
0: yeah totally it's like i mean yeah the, the business may be you know very unsuccessful from a financial standpoint but like you're learning the sort of basic functions of what these things are where it's like okay i pay 15 or you know so someone pays us 15 for a t-shirt we printed the shirt for five dollars we made 10 dollars. like oh yep. okay and it's like oh that's what a profit and loss column is like oh whoa i didn't know that was a thing like,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and like you knew it but you didn't know it <laughs>
0: totally um and so the uh, it, it looks like to me that you obviously didn't have any I guess issues with the fact that um, there were uh, was attention that was being paid to you however you know small or minor, but like obviously you know putting yourself on stage and doing these things um, you know causes a lot of people trepidation. Is that something that you had to build away from as far as like okay, I, I'm scared but I'm still gonna do this because I like this or were you pretty much a ham from the beginning?
1: <laughs> no yeah, I'm a hog for the limelight. <laughs> okay, I can't stay away. It's uh I mean there's certainly many different things at play in what makes someone put themselves on stage, but for me, yeah, it's always been this drive to express myself has been pretty important, so getting on stage is always really an obvious step for me
0: and then um. The, uh, so as you obviously started to go through college and start to, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel was, you know, you being birthed into the real world with some sort of uh, semblance of an education. Um, was the, uh, I presume that the theater company and story pirates was all kind of congealing in your head around then, or did that happen after the fact when you moved to New York?
1: It happened after the fact. It was pretty, it's pretty accidental. Like I fell into it. I was in New York. I was not auditioning because I hated auditioning and I was honestly just like too lazy or uninterested in the business of acting, which like no one really taught us at school. And so it was scary and I didn't know what to do. And I, and also auditioning feels terrible. And so I wasn't doing it. I was just working. I was temping a a law firm during the day and like playing with my friends in a band at night and and then I started uh I got cast in a couple shows that I didn't have to shooting for, which is why I did them. <laughs> and and from that I started spending a lot of time around this this theater that I was doing work for kids and uh and I got to know them and I convinced them to give me a directing slot because I knew I wanted I wanted to direct, but I also uh didn't know how to go about that and didn't know how about getting opportunities or assisting other directors or anything like that. Um, I just like taken myself out of the loop or I didn't know how to get into it. So I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll just convince these people to let me direct a kid's show because no one wants to direct kids shows and I will, which is totally untrue and, and just mean to even sure. say that I thought that, Sure, but, um, I was like, I'll do this and I'll nail it. And, and I'll also sort of use this thing I was inspired by that we used to do in college. So we did a similar thing to Story Pirates in college called Griffin's Tale, where we went to schools on the North Shore of Chicago and took stories written by kids and turned them into sketch comedy and musical theater. And, and that was something that was really inspiring to me in college. So I was like, I can take the germ of that idea, I can call my friends, I can get the band together, and we can put on this show, and it'll probably be really amazing, because I sort of already know what it is, um, and it was a show that you put on when you are 23, so it probably wasn't as amazing as I thought it was at the time, um, but it was really fun, and we had a blast, and we were like, let's let's like start a company and do this, because we were naive about what that is. Um, which I think so many young people are when they begin creative endeavors with their friends um, at a young age and it's really inspiring and you don't understand how long the road is or what you're getting yourself into or how much uh, you're going to need to learn along the way um, which is a good thing I think because otherwise people wouldn't, young people wouldn't get involved in the ambitious creative endeavors that are very hard and uh, I feel like I'm rambling now, but
0: no, no. I you, yeah. I understand your point. I mean, the naivety of the youth—that's what births everything, you know. Like you don't yeah. you don't know any better, so you just do it, and then all of a sudden, the thing is happening, and you're just like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm I'm
1: doing this thing now." Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh,
0: but you, it sounded like your your ultimate goal, in some capacity, was obviously to end up in some version of uh, Broadway or theater. Um, was that? Because obviously, you know, people have a notion of what they want to do um, in the creative arts in some capacity. And then I wouldn't use the word settle, but they obviously have to readjust and be like, OK, that's not a thing that I want to do because of I've discovered these, you know, 10 things that I wasn't aware of before. Um, right. but was that the ultimate kind of goal where you wanted to end up? And then obviously, you know, th- this other opportunity presented itself.
1: Well, when Story Pirates started, we were like at first I was like, this is a great way to get into directing. And I did it and I was like, I really love this, I really connect to the mission, I'm really good at this. And and I just really love working with kids and I love their ideas and I really like I I fiercely identify with the mission of it. And um and so then we were like, let's do this. And the ambition was like, I think at that time with our with being naive twenty two year olds or whatever We were like, we're going to take the show to Broadway. But we didn't really have any concept of what that is. Like you said, as the company grew and we realized what that means and what other goals are, yeah, it shifted. And it continues to shift. I laugh because I tell, you know, I've been doing Story Parts 13 years and I'm always telling people that, like, whenever they're like, how's story pirates going? I was like, well, I think we're in like a transition phase. (laughs) And I think I've been saying that for 10 years. (laughs) Um, it's always a different transition, but I guess that's what life is. Right. Um, this constant change and constant readjustment to like, what is reality? What is the landscape? What are my goals? What are my ambitions? Like, how do we like shoot above those? Um, it's constant reassessment. Like you said, yeah. But at the same time, I've been able to like pursue outside projects in a way that I always dreamed I'd be able to. And at some point, some points I thought weren't going to be possible that now are. And, and that's really, it's neat to see like creative opportunities continue to, to grow.
0: Sure. All this, all this stuff, you know, stems out of one creative endeavor and then all the, these other opportunities that you're like. Oh, I didn't think about that, but that, yeah, that's something I would love to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so the, uh, you mentioned this earlier, but I, you know, I, I found it interesting where it's like, obviously story pirates existed. You have, you you have, you have a kit, correct? No, no, oh, for some reason, I thought that you did, but um anyway, but the yeah, I know you mentioned that but for whatever reason, I thought you had one, but so obviously, a lot of people are just like oh here's here's a person that doesn't have a child that's creating art for for kids, yeah. um, you know, where uh you derive inspiration from and all that other sort of stuff, but you know obviously the answer to that is like, well, you've never grown up yourself, you're still a kid, um even though you're doing adult like things now um." Is it one of those things that uh, it just constantly confounds people that are just like, well, well, Lee, when are you going to have a child? When are you going to bring one in, in, into your world? And you're just like, oh, I, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm not um, going down that path. Um, and is that something that you just, you know, are pretty cut and dry with?
1: It's people ask me that for sure. Or they're like, Lee, you love kids so much. Like, you'd be a great father. What's what's the deal? And I'm, I, I am solidly like right in the middle. Like it just hasn't happened for me and, and maybe it will, maybe it won't. And I'm sort of okay with either, I think. Um, but it is something that you like, I do think about and, and it is weird. Like it does come up like that I do this thing that's so kid centric. And like I said before, most people first even notice the world of like, media and theater for kids when they have their own kids so but I think people that really know me understand that like my personality is very uh, (laughs) I don't want to say childlike but I fiercely identify with kids point of view and I feel like I I relate to them like I'm the guy that like I go to the family reunion and I just hang out with the kids the whole time because they're more interesting to me they just their minds work closer to what I can relate to. I think their opinions are more interesting. I think their ideas are funnier, weirder. I look I look for people in my life, adults uh, and kids, who are whose brains are just insatiable and searching, and weird and surprising. I just get bored easily, I think. <laughs> sure. So people that know me, they understand that I'm actually, like, not making stuff for kids. I'm making stuff that's creatively fulfilling to myself. And it just happens to, you know, you know sort of, like, correspond to what, in in, like, whatever, like, marketplace the world has for it. It sure. corresponds to stuff for kids. Right. And that's changed a little as I get older and I'm more like an administrator now and less of like boots on the ground, like directing and acting and shows. I don't do that as much anymore for story pirates. I'm more overseeing general creative stuff and media stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it is interesting the notion that it's like obviously you see there's there 's definitely two distinct types of people that you see you know filter through the world it 's like the, the ones that you recognize that just like they 're you know oh, i 'm never grown up like fuck that i don't want to you know sell out, and be a part of the adult world or whatever, and then you know they basically they don 't change as an individual for you know thirty or forty plus years and in a bad way you know like they 're yeah. just stuck in this sort of weird peter Pan syndrome, yeah, but then you obviously have the kind of exact opposite of the people that uh, you know they uh, they they grow up they adapt to the adult world and they um, you know kind of turn off that portion of their life because they feel like it's behind them yeah um, and uh, it, it's so uh, it, it you know both of those people make me sad because it's like there is a middle there that you can totally yeah. you can totally live in and still be a whole person. Like I always joke around of like, I mentioned earlier where it's like, you know, you, I would strike as a person where it's like, yeah, you're in a, you're, you're doing adult like things, but you're still a child like, and in a, in the most positive non-pejorative way possible, you know? Um, and I just, I don't know, it just makes me sad. And I'm sure you recognize that in people too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope I'm striking the right balance. <laughs> I think I am. I I definitely don't. Uh, hope that I don't come off as a Peter Pan guy, but, um, cause yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I think I'm, I think I'm growing up a little bit. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> and so I presume that like when you were putting story pirates together, uh, initially, obviously like the company you were, you were doing, um, I'm sure there were many, many portions of time that, made it seem like it was uh, this is not feasible like i i'm in a really dark place in regards to like this being a a a stable financial living especially living in new york even though you live in brooklyn which is more affordable but um not really (laughs) i don't know now it's not um but uh you know so walk me through those sort of uh places where you know you were where it's just like dude, I I've made mistakes. This is not the way to go. Um, or or was it just always kind of like, I just need to focus on the creative juices of this to keep me going.
1: That's hard. You know, it's, it's, uh, cause it still happens, you know, like with any business, any like small business owner can relate. Like there are peaks and valleys constantly. And sometimes you have a really good year and sometimes you have a not as good year. And, um, I'm sure everyone feels that way, but for a small business owner that is also, like, is very much a creative endeavor, it's a funny little mix, you know, um, of trying to make stuff work. And the dark moments are very dark. And, you know, like I said, like, Story Pirates happened to me a little bit like an accident. It just, I, I feel like I was at the right place at the right time. And I was like, you know, this seems like something worth doing. And I put my head down and 10 years later, 13 years later, here I am. And and sometimes that's surprising. I'm like, I wonder if I made other choices or would I be able to pay my bills? Which like, you know, even as successful as we've been, is still hard sometimes. Um, so I don't know. How do I get through those moments? I think I get through them by, Every day when I talk to someone who has a job that they don't love, um, even though my job can be really hard and stressful and I'm pulled in a million different different directions. Like at the end of the day, I get these emails from parents and kids and teachers that are so rewarding. You wouldn't even believe it. It's, it's really beautiful. The way that story pirates has touched people's lives and the impact that it has is something I, I don't think a lot of people get uh, to read the sorts of feedback and to receive the sorts of, like, gratitude that, that I get from, from these parents and teachers and kids whose lives have been impacted by our programs and shows. And uh, it's pretty special. And so that keeps me going. When you realize, like, you know what, like, all this other stuff like bills and career and status and how big's my apartment and, uh, is my air conditioner broken? <laughs> that stuff is, it's not that real. It's all, it's all just something that I don't know. It, this too will pass, you know? And so I'm lucky to be able to do work. That's really impactful. And, and that at the same time is relatively creatively expressive for me. Sure, I still really lucky.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like that. It's a very temporary state of like those those things, those immediate concerns that obviously um, you know plague most people's lives. If you do view them as a very um, you know movable object, where it's just like, well, oh, well, I can, I, I, I could take care of this now, or I could take care of this later. It's like, but th- this is really you know, yeah, I'm uncomfortable because my air conditioning is broke. But okay. yeah, okay,
1: yeah, I mean. Hopefully like I know I've been hopefully like I won't dig myself into a hole like financially in a way that I can never get out and that will have real serious real world repercussions. Right. And that might happen. But <laughs> but it is it is important to like remember what what actually matters, you know.
0: Yeah, I know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh. And so then, obviously, like you were mentioning, the other creative endeavors that you're able to uh, pursue, um, I, I know that you're due, you mentioned Found Magazine, and you're, you're directing. Uh, walk me through that, because um, Found Magazine, obviously, for people that aren't aware of it, um, is an incredible magazine that obviously focuses in on... Um, well, I, I can let you describe it, because obviously, you are way more closer to the project than I am.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've literally described it thousands of times. So happy to oblige. Um, Found Magazine's a magazine based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, who was started by this guy, Davey Rothbart in his basement with a bunch of his friends and they started collecting notes and letters off the ground that they found um, and showing them to their friends. And then people started showing them to Davey and he started, his collection was so big that he started putting out this magazine called found magazine. Um, And they have a million issues at this point and books Uh, and it's just this most, the most beautiful collection. It's the funniest, weirdest, saddest, uh, strangest, like most touching, most human collection of ephemera you've ever seen. Birthday cards, postcards, post-its, to-do lists, pictures, kids' homework, love letters, everything, everything. From people all over the country. They send them into the Found Magazine. And right around 2009, 2010, I started working with Davey to adapt those notes into a show. And we took a bunch of those notes. And at first, we did it within the confines of Story Pirates, where I had an ensemble that came together and we adapted a bunch of these notes. We created a sketch comedy show. Um, that had songs in it too and we did it all around town like sort of late night and it was really funny and all over the place and uh, you know I hosted the show and I played drums at the same time and uh, so it was really really fun and then at a certain point we were like you know maybe this could be something bigger maybe this could be a book musical which is what You know, you call a musical that has, like, a libretto, like, a story and characters that you follow all the way through as opposed to, like, these disconnected sketches and songs um, that are each based on a different note. So we are like, can we connect these different notes with a story? And um, my friend Hunter Bell, who wrote this show called Title of Show, which was on Broadway... And it's just an amazing show about friends creating art together uh, that you, sh- any, everyone should check out if they don't know. Title of show: um, Hunter Bell, who wrote that. He joined up with me, and we started writing "Found" as a musical, and been working on that for a while now. And it's we've had a bunch of workshops, and then we had a production at the Atlantic Theater in New York last fall, or I guess like a year and a half ago. Um, That was amazing and so fun. And then from there, we've done another draft, and we're doing it in Philly this fall at the Philadelphia Theater Company. And it's just one of the funniest things you'll ever see. It's one of the most poignant things you'll ever see. Real notes and letters. The show has dozens and dozens of them. Um, and then, you know, hopefully after Philly, we'll come back into New York, maybe get to Broadway if we're lucky. Um, and so that sort of was my was my jumping off point from Story Pirates back to, like, the, I don't know if you want to call it the legit theater world or whatever, but it's been my, my launch pad back into that world and, um, I've been lucky enough to have other projects in my way since then, as I keep working on bound, working on other stuff too, and which has been really, you know, now I'm juggling more than ever between those and story pirates, but, uh, but I feel really lucky to be able to spread my wings a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, that's exciting. Cause yeah, you never know, um, what one person finds, uh, meaningful that consumes, you know, your art thinks about you in a different light and it's like, Hey, I can bring this person along to do this other thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat.
0: And when, um, you know, I, I always like to focus on, on the moment when um, a person feels like uh, the thing that they're building, whether it's a band, record label, whatever, um, kind of becomes real, you know, where it's like, oh, wow, like this is a recognized uh, commodity or whatever it is, whatever yeah. you label it as. Um, yeah. You know, do you walk me through like a, a moment or two that you can kind of recall? It doesn't have to be this huge thing of like, oh, we sold this out and made a lot of money or whatever. But it can just be like, you know, little moments, obviously, uh, you know, kind of removing the. Uh, emails and the positive feedback that you get from teachers and kids and stuff like that. Um, When did you kind of recognize that like, Oh, this thing is kind of, you know, bigger than what I originally anticipated it being.
1: Well, the big moment for story pirates was right around when Jon Stewart was hosting the Oscars, which I was probably like several years ago at this point, he went on Larry King and out of nowhere, Jon Stewart plugs story pirates and our website crashed and the phone was ringing off the hook and our lives changed in a very real way from the like one minute that John on Larry King was like, have you heard of story pirates? They do this amazing thing. And I was, it was so massive for us. I can't even, I can't overstate it. And to this day, it's still like, it's the whole reason we are able to continue existing is because cause he had the, like, generosity and the interest to, like, uh, on national television, talk about this, like, ragtag band of improvisers who were trying to make funny stuff for kids.
0: And how did... Uh, how... I presume you obviously weren't watching it live. Like, was it one of those things that all of a sudden like either traffic for the website blew up or like, how did you find out about My that? My phone
1: blew up. Yeah. All of our phones blew up because everyone was like, John Stewart, John Stewart, have you heard what's going on? How did you know this was going to happen? Larry King, blah, 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 blah. We're like, what is happening right now? <laughs> and you know, so we were able to look it up online and it was there and like, it was just massive and our bookings went through the roof and it's the whole reason why we, we grew. It was a crazy night.
0: That is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and the last thing I wanted to hit on was the, um, you know, the, the idea and I, I forgive me for asking this sort of like super basic question, but it's like writing, <laughs> uh, writing is obviously very hard in the sense of, yeah. uh, you know, coming up with creative ideas and whatever. And obviously the whole point of story pirates in general is to, um, you know, endear kids to the concept of writing and stretching their creative imagination and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I presume that obviously since you can live in two worlds where it's like you're living in an adult world making art for adults and then also at the same time making art for, you know, this, this conglomeration of kids meets adults. Um, yeah. Do you have to, do you find yourself having to switch, um, you know, kind of the, the, the methods in which you approach it or is it all kind of just one sort of discipline that you've been able to uh, focus on?
1: I think creatively I don't, Feel like there's much of a distinction for me. And I think one of the successes of Story Pirates is that we don't talk down to kids and we treat them like peers. And the result of that is like sophisticated comedy that plays to like the top of our intelligence and kids respect that and they want that. Um, and so moving from that to stuff that's intended for adults wasn't that hard for me, uh, from a creative sense. I think harder for me is the distinction between being a producer and a creator in that sometimes with story pirates, I find myself, well, you know, I'm running or historically I have a lot of help now, but have run everything myself, you know, I'm in the show, I'm directing the show, I'm, helping write the show, I'm selling tickets, I'm blah, blah, blah. Um, and so the biggest, the the biggest adjustment for me, I think, has been able to be like, all right, I don't have to control everything anymore. I can just be creative. And that's a really different muscle. Um, and I bet, I bet like a lot of bands have that too when they transition from from being in charge of every single thing and then giving over some of that control to others. It can be hard just to, to be okay with just being creative sometimes. And it's wonderful once you figure it out. Um, and I'm still figuring out how to switch off one part of my brain and and keep the other going. Uh, but yeah, that's, for me, that's more of a distinction than writing for kids versus writing for adults.
0: Sure. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, well, Lee, I really appreciate you hanging out and talking about uh, things you probably, um, talk about in, uh, disparate parts of your life, but never in one <laughs> conjoined conversation.
1: So I no, man, this was great.
0: Me. Thank you, Lee. Wasn't he just a fine, upstanding young gentleman. And, uh, it was really cool because after, uh, we dropped the uh, interview. He was like, "Hey, can you give me some record recommendations?" And it, it's one of those things where anytime anybody asks that, it's always like, "Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I absolutely can." <laughs> Just because, you know, sometimes we forget we're in our own little worlds and, you know, we get recommendations from a million different sources, whether it's our friends, obviously social networks, you know, advertising, interviews, whatever. And then sometimes you get kind of disarmed when a person asks you that question and it's like, oh, oh, that's right. Yes. Word of, word of mouth. That still exists. It's still a very important part of spreading the gospel about music. So, um, yes, we, we talked about some uh, some records you should be checking out. And um, yes, so thank you very much, like I said, Lee, and spending time with me and just, just a really cool story. I just love to hear people uh, who take their vision and put it out in the world and it becomes successful and it becomes meaningful to others because that's why we all are in this weird world of creation and independentness <laughs> because uh you know we feel like there's a uh there needs to be a voice for that in the world whatever however you're expressing it through podcasts through bands through other artistic mediums whatever you're doing just just keep doing it you know and make it put it build it from that honest place like i'm touching my gut right now and that's exactly where you should be doing it from like not actually like obviously using your gut to um you know, actually get the materials because, I mean, that sounds like you're throwing up, but you get the point. I digress. Uh, the guest next week is going to be a, uh, a cool one. It's a short one, but it's still a cool one. It is the vocalist from the band called Frameworks. Luke Pate is his name. And, um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a real interesting conversation. Uh, I'll go more into it next week, but it was, um, yeah, it was just real interesting. And I don't mean that in a good or bad way, just in a very, using the exact word, for how it's meant to be used, which is interesting. So next week, that'll be that. And um, yeah, enjoy your summer. Go outside, go swimming, go to the beach, go wander in the woods or whatever it is that you do. And oh, oh I'll talk to you next week about some uh, some fun stuff I did as well. So anyways, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.